Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. Melissa, I know we're so excited for today's guest because we both read the piece that he wrote. It was pivotal in our understanding of knowledge building and its impact on comprehension. And I just I just can't wait to talk about it today with him. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think so. Um, Hugh Katz is here with us today. He wrote um, an article called Rethinking How to Promote Reading Comprehension. Um, and I, I know it was shared around with my teammates at <laughs> Great Minds and um, lots of people are talking about it. So we can't wait to talk to him about it today. So welcome, Hugh. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm Hugh Katz. I was, I'm a professor at uh, Florida State University. I've been interested in reading for most of my career, and uh, I'm pleased everybody likes the article. It's in American Educator, and it, and it's uh, available to anyone who would like to read it. It doesn't have a, a paywall that prevents readers from accessing it. I so agree. if you just, just put that title in there, you can get to the paper. Yeah. That's a really good point. Thank you. That is, I I know. I I know we have the journals for good reason, but it is. <laughs> so, so I'm like, so yeah. often I want, I'm like, oh, I want to read that, but I don't have the funds to pay for all of those. <laughs> yeah, well, well, fortunately, there's, there's uh, now archiving uh, uh, sources. So where a lot of researchers are putting their papers in, a, in, a, uh, uh, in an archive, it's free to access. And so hopefully we'll be able to get around that and be able to disseminate more research. Excellent. Uh, like we said, we really loved the article. We enjoyed reading it. And I think it resonated with a lot of um, our own thoughts about uh, the, the role of knowledge and and what reading comprehension is all about. But I'm curious, since you've been at this for a while, um, how has your thinking about reading comprehension evolved over time? Yeah, I've, I've changed my thinking about reading comprehension quite a bit in the last uh, seven or eight years. Uh, prior to that, I, I thought about reading comprehension like most people do, that it was something that you could measure and that you could remediate um, and, and instruct. Uh, but through process of, of a number of different studies and, and looking at the literature, I, I've come to recognize that that's not the case, that reading comprehension is not a thing. You can't measure it uh, in a reliable fashion, and uh, uh, it's, it's difficult to remediate. But it doesn't mean that we're not able to do something about it. That's a good point. <laughs> We're actually able to do a lot about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And uh, most of most of uh, my my thinking was particularly changed through a, a recent research project that was part of the Reading for Understanding initiative, where uh, Department of Education uh, was was concerned about the fact that um, you know you've hear, heard it before, sixty six percent of the of school age kids uh, are reading below the proficient level. And they decided that they would put in a, quite a bit of money to try to uh, uncover what's the best way to teach kids to understand what they read. And it was called the Moonshot 
uh, for reading comprehension because of the size of the effort. It was $113 million that were put into it. And I was part of the group, uh, one of the groups that was funded under this. And, and we uh, carried out uh, a number of studies over a five-year period, as did several other uh, groups. And the main thing that come out of that was that we were able to change certain portions of reading comprehension. Our group and others were interested in improving language, academic language, and in, in, with the intent of improving reading comprehension. And we found that, indeed, we could improve vocabulary, uh, uh, narrative comprehension, and so forth. Uh, but it had very limited, if, if at all, effects on standardized tests of reading comprehension. And uh, I can remember being at a, a conference, I, I, I talk about this in the article, where these reports were being uh, uh, presented, the results were pre being presented uh, from some of our teams from Reading from Understanding as well as others, um, and uh, basically saying that, that, that we got uh, these changes in what we taught, but not in standardized tests of reading comprehension, and everybody was really shocked. But by that point, uh, my experience in the project, I wasn't particularly surprised uh, because we were missing, I thought, important aspects of reading comprehension. Um, were not Either they were not being taught or they were not being assessed in the way that we were teaching them. A major component of that was knowledge. And, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, knowledge is a key to comprehension. If you want to understand how much somebody um, knows how much somebody understands after they read a passage, um, you need to know how much they knew before they read it, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, we, we build on what we already know when we read. Yeah, that's a good point. I, what you said really stuck out to me is either they're not being taught or we're not assessing them correctly. And I loved the part in your piece, it's so simple, but um, where you said uh, it's not... It's been common practice in education and research for some time to study, assess, and provide instruction as if comprehension were a skill rather like swimming. And then you go on to explain, you know, how swimming is a skill and how we try to apply that same idea of teaching swimming as a skill to reading. Um, but really, it's like one of the most complex things we engage in on a regular basis. Yeah, they, uh, uh, I mean, I think that's where we've gone wrong in, 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 um, thinking about reading comprehension is we have treated it as if it was a skill like other uh, skills in reading, like um, like uh, phonological awareness or phonics or fluency and so forth. Um, and and in, in fact, it's not like that. It's not easily assessed like those skills, and it's not easily taught like those skills. And, and to me, I, I, I think we're you know, at least uh, one thing that's contributed to that thinking is the the National Reading Panel report. Not the people that did the report. The report was an excellent document by by uh, reading scholars looking at the research that was available uh, at the time uh, to try to uh, provide some insight to uh, educators about how we could improve reading comprehension. All right, but unfortunately, because the the report was done in chapters, right? The way it got presented was uh, in terms of 
those chapters being highlighted. And comprehension was one of those chapters. So what we see is the big five. And people talk about the big five in the report from the National Reading Panel or the five pillars of literacy was another one. And when you present it like that, you give the impression that reading comprehension is like those other pillars or those other four of the big five. Right? Even though we know better, Right? that reading comprehension is much more complicated than those other four. Uh, we, we, we've got the impression that it's, that it's uh, similar in its complexity or its malleability. Right? And so we start to think about it as something that's, that can be easily measured or uh, remediated or instructed. And, and, and I think that's, that's affected a lot of our thinking about it. It's not that reading comprehension doesn't have some skill components to it. It does, but it's much more complex than the, than the other skills or, or other components of the, uh, that were reported in National Reading Panel. Um, the, the other model I think that's having some influence on it is the simple view model. I was an early adapter of the simple view. I loved that model when when I first ran into it in in the early 90s um, because I have a background in speech and language and that model highlights the importance of language or language comprehension being one of the components of of reading. That that, uh, simple view argues that that, uh, uh, reading comprehension is the product of decoding and language comprehension or listening comprehension. And that resonated with me with my background in, in language. But the way that it's presented, uh, we highlight both of those components, decoding and listening comprehension. And they're often presented visually in the same size box with the same size font for both decoding and listening comprehension. And that, that gives us the false impression that we're talking about somewhat comparable cognitive activities and that if we can we can improve we can measure and instruct decoding we ought to be able to measure and instruct listening comprehension or uh, reading comprehension and that's a that's a much different uh, 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 target to address in assessment and and instruction yeah, I have to say this is a, that's like exactly how I learned about it too as a teacher and how I thought about it when I was first teaching and you know I thought okay well if they have the decoding down great like check that part off now we can start digging in on you know main idea skill and they'll get better at that and yeah, then yeah. this other skill that they'll get better at for comprehension and now I know yeah. <laughs> it's way more than that yeah, and that's not completely wrong because I mean we'll. We'll probably talk a bit about strategies at po- some mm-hmm. point, and they are important for helping people become better, better uh, comprehenders, if you will. Uh, but, but it it has it has uh, I think altered the way we th- we think about comprehension when we put them in these models right, mm-hmm. that uh, oversimplify the task at hand. Can you talk a little bit about the role of knowledge in comprehension? Yeah, yeah, well, let me first talk about the the, the language component. You know that mm-hmm. the language comprehension or listening comprehension that's part of the simple view. You know, I mean, uh, I was actually fooled by that as well. All right. So when that model first came out, being a language person, what I thought was what we need to do is just improve kids' language. All right. So if we improve their vocabulary, their grammar, their discourse, all right, we get improvements in reading comprehension because that's what language comprehension is about. Right? 
and and uh, uh, in a number of studies, most recently, as I said, in that in that reading for understanding study, we found that we could in fact improve some of those aspects of language, but we don't get a a uh, uh, an immediate effect in terms of improving reading comprehension, and that's because we were missing some important parts to to comprehension, and one of them is knowledge. As I said before, um, how much you know about a topic really influences how much you're going to gain from reading a passage about that particular topic, and knowledge does a lot for us. All right, uh, the knowledge that we have helps us uh, gives us a place to put incoming information so so you know at one point we were we thought that the knowledge was in the text and what the job of the reader was was to extract that information from the text right but the knowledge is inside the reader right uh, and what what reading does is it allows us to add to the knowledge we already have or alter the knowledge that we have all right, so it gives us a framework for understanding what uh, what we're reading. It also helps us with with organizing the information that's coming in. If we have a schema or a, or a, a model of, about a particular topic, um, when we're reading the passage, we know how the pieces fit together. We don't get lost in in reading the passage or the the chapter in the textbook or whatever. All right, it also helps us with inferencing. Right? The authors don't tell us all that they would like us to know to be able to understand a, a passage, and we have to infer that by using the knowledge that we have to fill in the fill in the blanks. Um, knowledge is also important for thinking and reading, right? And and thinking is one of the critical things that we missed when we thought about language comprehension being language. We left out knowledge, but we also left out thinking. Right? Reading comprehension is essentially thinking with a book in your hand. All right? There's a lot of cognitive effort that goes into understanding a text. And knowledge is what we think about. Right? The, the knowledge that we have contributes to that thinking. And what, it's interesting what's gone on recently in, in education is we sometimes downplayed that knowledge. And, and teachers have actually been instructed to teach kids to think deeply and critically about what they read as if it was independent of what they read, right? And the argument was that you could just go look all that up, all right? You could, it's mm-hmm. it's in Google, all right, or at Wikipedia, wherever you go, look it up. And once you look it up, you think critically about it, all right? Well, the problem <laughs> is you can't think critically about it unless you already have that uh, a degree of that knowledge available to you, all right? That that there's limitations in how fast you can take something out of Google and put it in a usable form uh, that you can use to uh, That's think That's a good point. I feel like that is highlighted it. in your piece when you uh, illuminate the example with the washing clothes. And I, I, I love that. I think it resonates. And for those listening, uh, we are going to obviously link this piece that we're talking about. Um, and it's really important that, you know, you read it if you're interested in learning more about what he was saying. But um, what I thought was really striking about what you shared here is that the students who were told um, you will hear a paragraph about washing clothes before they listened to the paragraph could connect and recall details, right? And recall information. But those who heard that same passage without any kind of context 
they really couldn't recall much. And then a third group of students was given the topic after they heard that passage, but they were already confused and they didn't recall anything. So I think it's very, I mean, among not just this example, but you went on to share that there were also, this was replicated, but, um, you know, sharing that background knowledge beforehand and, and giving that context and building the schema is very, very important. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the interesting findings there was that was that even if you were given the title of the passage, the passage, if you guys uh, haven't seen it, it's a rather ambiguous passage about washing clothes. And it's a really clever study that was done back in the 70s by Brantford and, and Johnson. And uh, uh and you really don't understand what the passage is about. It, um, I would say I read I read that without knowing it was about. Yeah, yeah you don't know, right? I kind of I yeah, and I like halfway through, I was like, I don't know what this is about. Yeah, I'm done with this. Yeah, I was I was surprised when it was laundry. I was like, how did I not know? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's cleverly written. But the the interesting thing was even if you were given the passage afterwards, all right, you weren't able to recall a lot of the details of it. The reason being is what I said before, there was no place to put those details when you were reading. All right. So you heard them as individual items and you weren't able to retain all that information because your working memory, which is the, which is the cognitive, uh, uh, mechanism, if you will, that helps you, uh, take in new information and remember that information gets overwhelmed with all those, all those details. And so having it afterwards doesn't do much good. Right. Which was kind of a surprising finding, I think, to him. Right. But it, but for me, it does highlight this, this, uh, you know, strategy that we use in education is trying to act, uh, get kids to access what they know about a topic before they start reading about it. Right. So activating background knowledge before we read a passage. So the teacher will talk about, you know, what do they know about dolphins or, or, you know, civil war or whatever the, whatever they're reading about. And, and because, just the mere activation of it, thinking about it, uh, uh, allows you to more easily access it as you're reading the passage. Right? But that doesn't get rid of the main problem. And the main problem is that it's hard to access knowledge that you don't have. Right? And that, that, that it's critical that kids have uh, knowledge of a, of a variety of subjects to be able to do well uh, on reading comprehension assessments that may tap into those various different topics, right? It's, it's not a skill that you can translate, uh, transfer, that is reading comprehension, from one particular passage to another particular passage. There are some skill components, right, uh, that, that do transfer, but for the most part, um, it's relying on your, uh, your, uh, the knowledge that you have about it to begin with and the effort you put into thinking about what it is that you're reading. <laughs> we talk about that too sometimes, you know, like every student's going to be different with what knowledge they're bringing. Right? Every text is going to be different with what it, you know, what knowledge is included in the text. And then you also brought up that we, we don't talk about as much, but like what's, what's asked of the student to do with, you know, the knowledge after. Right. Yeah. I mean, some people talk about well, the, that the purpose of reading is reading comprehension. Right. You hear that all that all the time. Yeah. That's what justify. But reading comprehension is not the purpose of reading. Right. Right. <laughs> There's a purpose that we are comprehending. 
right? So we're reading that passage or that book, right, at night for entertainment. I read every night uh, before mm-hmm. I go to bed, uh, you know, novels for entertainment. Some for some for information if it's a nonfiction, um, but in school kids read uh, materials for different purposes. They read it because it's going to be on the test the next day. All right? right, they read it because they're writing a report on it. All right, they're reading it because they're they're evaluating uh, the argument that the person is making, so forth. Mm-hmm. And the the purpose for reading has an influence on how you go about reading it. And we often have have not paid attention to the activity that one is carrying out in reading to understand the uh, variability in one's reading ability. Mm -hmm. Some people are better at reading for for a given purpose than other people are. And and so part of, of becoming better at reading comprehension is getting better at lots of different purposes of engaging in that cognitive activity. And and so uh, I've suggested that we start thinking about assessing and instructing comprehension in the context of purpose. Right? What's the purpose that we're doing this? And that play a role in an assessment and in in uh, and in instruction or remediation. I think we, I I mean, I'm, well, I mean, I love that. I think that's really important. (laughs) Um, I actually have a question if we could circle back and then Melissa, I assume you want to go for it, go for that. Um, Hugh, I don't know if this has come up, but I'm just curious. And if it hasn't, please say it hasn't come up or I'm not sure I haven't heard of it. What happens when kids bring incorrect knowledge to like I am, I'm, a, I have a 10 year old <laughs> and the things that sometimes she comes home and tells me, I'm like, I, d- I d- just don't think that's right. And then we have to go back and I'm like, you know, pulling sources and, and I'm like, here's a reputable source. Here's how we learn about this. Let's watch a video. Let's read this piece. Let's grab this book and, and let's learn more. But this is the accurate stuff about the, you know, whatever contributed the, the reasons why the revolutionary war happened versus the things that you're thinking and that's like a couple of those aren't right but a couple of them are so i'm wondering what happens with inaccurate knowledge yeah 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 that 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 is a really important thing i mean there's, there's two <laughs> things i can i can say about that i mean uh having incorrect information makes it hard to build further information right so if you if you don't understand something or you've got something if the if your schema or your model about a particular topic is wrong it 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 makes it difficult to to find places in your model for the incoming information Right. So, I mean, one of the things that teachers do is help correct incorrect knowledge, uh, and parents as well. I mean, I know, Lori, you probably explained to your child that, that that's not quite correct. Right. The other part of it, and it's, it's as much a challenge, is it's the fact that, that you have something that's incorrect. It, it is, uh, hard to change that fact because we don't like to be wrong all right so once we've learned something we tend to hold on to that all right and we evaluate that piece of knowledge uh less uh than because we're sure of it than we do the alternative and so what you might find with your daughter is she's actually arguing that your explanation is not right 
because she does I mean, yeah, because like she does stepping into my house. She doesn't want to. <laughs> she doesn't want to be wrong. And what is called is confirmation bias. We all mm-hmm. have biases about the way we see the world, right? And we don't easily give up those biases. So when we're trying to trying to correct somebody, it's not just the mere changing of that piece of knowledge. It's getting the person to feel comfortable with recognizing that they're wrong and they have to reevaluate the way that, that they're thinking. And that, that's, that's particularly true of adults reading as well. All right. We like yeah. to be right when we read. So we tend to, we tend to search out, uh, uh, you know, people that, that agree with us. And uh, uh, we understand passages that that uh, where there's a lot of agreement with us, but when we read passages where where the person has different views, we have a harder time understanding that, and we also have a harder time accepting alternative views. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's a whole nother set of of, uh, <laughs> of cognitive uh, um, uh, factors that we often don't consider in education, but need to pay more attention to. I think that's so interesting because it brings the person into it, right? It brings the reader into it and and all of the feelings. Like it's more than just these are the facts and the <laughs> facts speak for themselves. It's this reader and this reader has all kinds of feelings and thoughts that they hold true about this. And I mean, that's even true about my 10-year-old when she's, no, well, no, my teacher said it was true. Or, you know, my, and, you know, I mean, it, she may either be misunderstanding she may be, con- you know, confusing it with something else. And there's a lot that goes on, but maybe because she didn't have the schema to or attach whatever she was learning to. So she attached it to something else. So I think there's a lot of um, Im- important things in what you just said. And that, I mean, that's, I feel like a whole nother podcast. <laughs> you, you, you raise a good point there that, you know, that she brings a lot of feelings and, and thinking to it. And that's back to my point that the, that the meaning of the passage is not in the text. All right. It's it's in the <laughs> yeah. head of the reader responding to that particular text. That text is altering the way or or adding to the way a particular person thinks about it and their feelings, their biases, all their knowledge about the topic all have an influence on how they understand that particular passage. So we have to think about and consider that as much in comprehension as we do, you know, the material that's in the in the passage that we're reading. I think that's such a good point. You guys just made me think of this in a totally new way because I, not that I really thought of it this way, but I think I kind, kind of did actually was think of like, okay, if you need to know so much about the Revolutionary War to understand this passage, okay, great. Lori knows 50% of what she needs to know. Hugh knows 75%. So I just need to build up what they need to know and then they'll get it. But you all are making me think, I mean, it's so much, it's even much more complicated than that, right? Is they might have, you know, some some incorrect knowledge, or they might know you know some things, but not others, and and it's just. It's I mean, that's more. one of the challenges teachers face is how to yeah. how to teach the knowledge we'd like to have them have them taught. I mean, and and um, there, there's one thing about thinking about reading comprehension as thinking with a book in your hand and recognizing like that puts the emphasis away from the actual comprehension onto the purpose of doing it, which is often learning, right? Learning yeah. Is, yeah. Off, is, a, is, is typically the purpose that we're reading in school, although there's quite a bit of entertainment. And I don't want to shortchange reading for, reading for enjoyment, uh, uh, but, but the reading for information is often 
due to learning. And and uh, you mentioned it, Melissa. What what we want to I think do in school is is ask what makes it easier or more difficult for children to learn. You know, where there's a lot of influence on the science of reading right now. Right? I think we ought to put as much attention on the science of learning and what the role of reading is in kids' learning about a range of subject matters. And there's a there's a pretty good uh, body of literature out there on just pure learning. And what do you do to help kids um, learn better about a particular subject matters? That's a good point. Yeah, it, we'll have to get some of those links so that if our, our, I, I know our, our listeners are thinking, well, what is that body of, of, <laughs> of information? I want to read more because we get I so was, like, many notes for myself to look it up. <laughs> yeah, we get so many uh, people reach out after episodes. So we'll have to provide that in our, we have resources that we link in the show notes. We'll have to, to link yeah. that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really good point and very important. And I think it, raises more questions for me than than answers, which is always a really good thing. So Melissa and I can head back and think about this a little bit more. And then maybe uh, we'll have to reach out to you for some additional help <laughs> with that conversation. <laughs> so I cannot wait to dig into assessments with you, I which I know sounds silly, but it really, I'm so curious because I think my experience with assessments and reading you know, and especially looking at the state assessment, which is always seen as like, you know, the important one. <laughs> so it's a big deal. Yeah, it is um, state assessment time right now, in, right. you know, in many schools. So and so it drives a lot of the instruction and we end up seeing things like test prep and they're practicing these isolated skills and um, not talking about the knowledge that's going to be on the test or how to prepare for that. And I'm just wondering, like, what it. What are your thoughts on all that we talked about with how complicated reading comprehension is and how these assessments are, how they are right now? Yeah. Well, that's one of the problems, given the complexity of, of what we talk about is reading comprehension. It, it's hard to measure it with a single instrument. Right. Um, you know, I, for many years, I was like other people. When I when I did research, we gave a test of reading comprehension. That was one of the measures at the end of the uh, end of this of the uh, battery of assessment. We test reading comprehension. Um, but what I've come to recognize is that's a pretty variable phenomenon. Right. Back to this <laughs> notion about about all the factors that go into comprehension. Right. Individual differences within the reader. Individual differences um, in the text. What the text is about. How complex the text is. How coherent the text is. Um, differences in activities that we might ask kids to engage in related to a, a particular test. Uh, so forth. All those can influence uh, performance. And what brought this home to me was a was a study uh, done by a, a colleague of mine out in uh, Colorado where she had available to her um, uh, a, a group of a thousand kids who had taken four different measures of reading comprehension, very common measures that are used in diagnostics for reading comprehension. And she and she had, uh, you know, all, all thousand kids took all four of those. They were uh, varied in age, but uh, she wanted to know, among other things, um, if I identify the poorest 10% readers on one of those measures, and, and if you have a thousand, that's the lowest hundred readers, what percentage of those kids on average would be in the bottom 
uh, 10% on each of the other three tests. Right? Uh, and what she found was rather surprising. It was only 43% on average. All right. So if you were in the bottom 10% on a, on one of the measures of reading comprehension, you know, you had less than a 50% chance of being in the bottom, uh, uh, 10% on a nut on one of the other measures, all right? That they were measuring different things. And because they measure different things, kids perform differently. All right. So, you know, right from a diagnostic point of view, if you're given a single test to determine whether a child has problems in reading comprehension, all right. Uh, there's a there's a you know a chance that they may or may not because of the measure you you gave. Right? Yeah, so, 50% is not a great. No. So, so <laughs> not very helpful. So I think what that tells us is not we should not be using single measures of reading comprehension in di- for diagnostic purposes. There's also the issue of of well maybe we put two or three of those measures together. All right, and we we get something that's more stable within the individual, and we certainly would. Right, so if we if we had them take, let's say, all four measures, and then we gave them an average score over those four measures, we could get something that would differentiate that child reliably from uh, other kids that, that did the same thing. The problem with that is when we get a measure like that, we have now got something that's very difficult to change. All right, so we've got a measure that that you know quantifies their ability, but it makes it difficult to use that as a benchmark for which we want to see if we that they improve if we've given them a certain degree of instruction or or we have a reading comprehension uh, uh, curriculum that we go through and we want to see if they improve. Right, and the research that I've talked about in Reading for Understanding and other studies show that those standardized measures like that turn out to be hard to change because they're based quite a bit on what the child knows about all the topics and what their intellectual abilities are, are like, the working memory abilities are like, that, that allow them to do better on those. And those are hard things, things to change. Right? And that's, that's the same problem we have with state exams. Right. Yeah. Uh, that state exams measure quite a few different topics, um, often pretty heady topics. I mean, there there are things that kids learn about in 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 school, and there's there's nothing wrong with assessing what things kids learn about in school, but they're unfair in the sense that some kids come to school without having that knowledge, and if they haven't been exposed to that knowledge in school, they're they're, uh, you know, uh, penalized on those those exams. So we see kids that, you know, come from more impoverished uh, uh, families often do poorer on on those those state exams, uh, and it's unfair to teachers because teachers teachers don't have available to them what's on the test. All right, they don't even right. yeah. know exactly. I think that'd be considered cheating yeah. in this day and age, yeah. right? Yeah, but but in in fact. Uh, you should be able to teach what's on the test because knowledge is part of <laughs> comprehension, right? I mean, you can't right. you can't talk about comprehension without knowledge, right? Um, and and so what what teachers need to resort to is, like you said, Melissa, uh, one is is practicing the the form of the test, and that's a good mm-hmm. idea. 
right? So, so other people can relate to taking the GRE or the SAT, those types of standardized tests. It's a good idea to go in and kind of see what the test looks like and practice, practice tests and so forth so that you're not surprised by the format, right? And that can mm-hmm. actually give you a little boost, Right? But practicing answering multiple choice questions about varying topics for weeks ahead of time is not is going to lose its effectiveness. Right? Mm-hmm. First week or so, you might kids might actually learn something about the way you go about ruling out, you know, choice number three or whatever it is. But after a period of time, you've learned that. Right? And by keep doing it, you're not going to gain any anything else. Because yeah. those passages aren't likely to be the ones that are on the on the right. on the test. The other thing is is the is a strategy. Strategies. There's good evidence that that reading strategies are effective. The problem with them is that they they the strategy that's most effective depends upon what it is you're reading and why you're reading it. All right. The the strategy that's most uh, useful to you, understanding a passage on an exam about science and looking at a a graph where the data is displayed and so forth. All right. Looking for main idea, summarizing whatever it might be, might not be the most useful strategy for that mm-hmm. particular uh, passage. So um, I argue, other people argue, what what we would still want to do is teach those reading strategies, but teach them in the context of a subject matter, all right, to where you're, you're uh, learning how to extract information from a text that um, uh, is, is similar to other science texts, right? So you can mm-hmm. transfer, you know, from chapter one to chapter three, because you now know how to analyze and think about science and the way it's being presented within that, within that chapter. All right. Um, yes. Yeah. Can, can I just clarify uh, what I think you might be saying there is, for example, you know, in a science text, I might have students read a paragraph and then quickly on the side, just note, you know, a couple uh, thoughts about the main idea of that paragraph and then and maybe in they're continuing to read and another paragraph or two and then they do the same thing like what's most important about what you just read here so for example i'm using that strategy to help me extract information from the text and that can be replicated with other yes, science texts per yeah, se kind of but i would think okay. i would think about it uh, a little bit more complex in that and look at the way the structure of the science text and what it is it. that you're okay. trying to do afterwards. All right. So okay. maybe what you're trying to do afterwards is get the child to understand the the body of knowledge that's kind of conveyed into that. All right. Looking for the main idea that's being uh, presented there may not be the best way to do that. All right. Mm. Put the attention on the purpose. Well, the purpose is for you to have a mental model of, of that particular chapter. But well, the best way to, to assure that is to ask the child to summarize what it is that they've learned from that particular page about that particular topic, right? Because what to summarize requires you to acquire the, you know, a, a, a cohesive model about, you know, photosynthesis, let's say. All right, so you've got a passage on that. All right, thinking about the main idea is not what you want. You want to know how you want to know how all those pieces in that go together. The other thing for that is some sort of graphic organizer that's structured in the way the chapter is structured. 
All right. So mm-hmm. here are the pieces of of that we're going to talk about. Here are the main things, and then how do these interact? You know, how does the sun and and uh, you know the leaf of a plant that <laughs> interact in photosynthesis? I mean, and and if you if you put it into a problem you know, solving situation like that, then you've got an opportunity for somebody to not only learn how you attack a a reading material, but also how do you think about it once you've done that. That's really helpful because what you just did was share like that big idea of what we were reading for. (laughs) And then I could go back and think, oh, okay, yes, this makes sense to look for these different components as we're looking for this big piece. So thank you for clarifying that. That was really helpful. And and it would be different if you're reading a, you know, a history book or if we're reading a novel, right? If we're reading a novel in there, we're going to be asking kids to pay attention to the characters and what's their motivation, you know? Uh, How do you relate to that particular character? Do you share any of, you know, any of their feelings has that ever happened to you those types of things that that uh, uh, could can help you gain a a better understanding of the particular passage yeah I wanted to say this earlier but I think it also connects here that having students and even you know as an adult reader I I love talking with Melissa about books that we're reading. I love talking with you about this piece that you wrote. It helps me to process and think differently and to clarify, you know, any misunderstandings I may have had to renew my some new information and then to see different perspectives. But I think that that's really important for kids, especially when we're talking about that building knowledge piece and helping them get that correct knowledge <laughs> or accurate knowledge. I think that's helpful so that they have the chance to you know, orally discuss what they've read and yeah. be able to make sense of it. Yeah. Well, the, the other important thing about, about having knowledge is that knowledge is a great motivator for gaining more knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to have more intellectual curiosity about topics that we already know a little bit about, right? So the more you learn about a particular subject matter, the more likely you're willing to put in the cognitive effort to learn additional information about it. Right? Yeah. And and the 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 effort that it takes to build a understanding of a book chapter that a child might be reading in science or history is huge, right? Because we actually have to think, right? And as as humans, we don't really like to think very much, right? <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. That what we're what we're more comfortable with with doing is the kind of the seat of the pants thinking like we do on our you know we can manage our way around life pretty well without thinking deeply right mm-hmm. uh, you know we've got our our life organized and 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 we do a pretty good job of that but when we're when we're in school and we're faced with trying to understand something new we have to think at a much deeper level all right, and some people have talked about these as you know type one, type two thinking, so forth, and and we don't generally like type two thinking, the deeper thing, because it's exhausting. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys are getting tired right now just interviewing me, <laughs> and I'm getting tired trying to keep all this straight in my head talking talking to you, and yeah. and so one of the one of the real challenges in comprehension is to get. Uh, kids, adults, whoever it is, to be motivated enough to think deeply about it about a subject matter, 
All right. And that's where knowledge is wonderful. And that's, that's why I, I think the, you know, the way that we ought to be uh, teaching, reading and, um, and, and thinking is within context, all right, within mm-hmm. subject matters. We should be teaching reading comprehension within science, within history, yes. um, within, liter- <laughs> within literature, all right, yeah. where, where there's, there's more motivation to actually engage in it. So where if we do it with these, you know, short passages and practice a strategy with a, you know, short 500 word passage, you know, kids are going to have varying degrees of, of motivation to want to do that. Some kids are going to do it because they just like being good at it, you know, and they want to read that it. Me yeah, right. right. But, <laughs> but you know, a lot of kids, I mean, are, are just, you know, they're not just not into it. You know, you. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. Uh, when you say that, it takes me back to, I don't even know, maybe sixth grade or fifth grade. And we had those SRA color boxes and it's exactly what you described. It's a little passage. And then you answer some questions and you might like write a a very, very brief response. And all I could think of was how motivated I was to get to the next color and the next color and like finish the whole box. But I imagine there are lots of kids who also are not motivated. (laughs) And that's okay. But it's, it didn't help me. I don't remember anything. (laughs) And, and, you know, when when we do this in a knowledge base where kids are learning more each day, and it, I mean, it can be fun. I mean, teachers are good at presenting new information to kids to, to get them to be excited about it. We shouldn't just stop there and go teach reading comprehension. (laughs) We should be teaching reading comprehension when we, when we've got a book that has to do with a particular subject matter, right? And how do you extract more knowledge out about that subject matter? You know, at the same time that we can do a, a oral lecture on it, we can do an a activity or an experiment or whatever. We can go visit a, a go on a field trip to a history museum, so forth. That's all part of gaining knowledge. And reading is just one of the ways that we do that. Yeah, that's great. We talk about that all the time. Like I, I have a three-year-old and we talk about even at that age, we're starting to build knowledge through through reading, but also through uh, through just life experiences as well. And so I'm, I want to jump back to assessments just real quickly, because you talk in your article about some places that are starting to do assessments a little bit differently. I'm just wondering your thoughts on these kind of new types of assessments that are happening and tell our audience a little bit about what, what they are. Yeah, so it's back to the idea of of doing an integrated literacy and content uh, curriculum to where you're 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 teaching uh, reading at the same time you're pro- uh, providing uh, information about particular uh, different topics. Well, if you're doing that, it would make the most sense to actually assess kids' ability to read and write using those same topics that you've been instructing in. All right. Now, there is this notion that you could do this by taking knowledge out of it and try to capture the essence of reading comprehension where everybody's got the same degree of knowledge. All right. But that's a really artificial <laughs> phenomenon, and that's not typically what's done in reading comprehension. What, what, what people uh, uh, are arguing is, is when you take the knowledge that kids already have and you ask them to access that through reading or use it in writing, right? you've actually now measured something that's malleable, 
All right. And is it, and the reason I like the malleability of it is that teachers now have a target to what they need to work on. So you've got a child that's not doing as as well on the on the reading test that relates back to the to the to the knowledge. You know, one, you've got to provide them with more knowledge, right? And you also have to provide them with more information about how you'd read a text to gain that knowledge. Right. Well, there has yeah. there has been some opportunities nationally to do that. The Department of Education does allow states the the opportunity to create their own assessments. And there's a number of states that have done it. Louisiana was one of the first to do it. And what they did was in a in a small number of districts is that they um uh drop the state exam for those schools and they replaced it with periodic reading and writing assessments of the curricula that is taught in the school, particularly social science and, and humanities or something like that. Um, and and it, it's not the same passages per se that came out of those books, but it would be passages that were written about the same topics that were talked about in those, right? And use that to assess kids' Um, reading and writing skills makes much more sense. Unfortunately, the pandemic had, has disrupted their ability to assess the effectiveness of that. But that that's uh, it's not the case that we don't have evidence. So because there's now dozens of studies showing that uh, integrated writing systems, um, uh, integrated literacy and content um, uh, systems are uh, effective in uh, in improving reading comprehension. Yeah, it makes so much sense as a teacher. I just feel like I would, <laughs> I would really love to know that like, this is these are the topics that will be on on the test that the students get to. I and it's not cheating because you're wanting to know how well no. how well they've learned those topics and how well right. can they use a book to access those topics or how well they right. can use their pen or computer to write about those particular topics. Yeah. And I just like then I would want to help build the knowledge, right? I just like okay, what with what we have around that topic, how can I build their knowledge as much as possible before that test? <laughs> yeah, I think students might I think I've said this before, too, but I imagine students would feel much more comfortable, too, knowing the topics that they're going to be assessed on. That seems to alleviate any kind of anxiousness or, you know, test nervousness or just generally some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I have to take this test and everybody's hyped it up and it's two hours. And But I, I also think that there's a lot to be said, Hugh, for what you mentioned is it should be part of, you know, everyday instruction. It's not necessarily a special event, although it could be in this case. Um, but but we're building knowledge about this topic all the time, or these topics, and then we're assessing them and we're assessing them in lots of ways. And one of the ways is, you know, a, a state assessment. Yeah. Well, we, we, we also need to teach kids the you know, to read the books, right, that are, that have that information, all right? Back to my idea of strategies and the way you attack that book to get the information out, all right? Or you might see some, some, you know, separate instructions on fundamental reading skills, all right? So, so we don't want to forget that the primary reason that kids don't understand what they read is because that they don't have the decoding skills to read it accurately and fluently. All right, that they're that they're either an inaccurate reader or they're they're uh, 
they're not they don't read fluently enough to be able to get enough information available to them in in working memory and and we kind of assume well they're in third or fourth grade they ought to be able to read words right well we you know may, we we may want to assess <laughs> how how accurate and fluently they're reading words and provide instruction directly at that that's hard to do in the context of of uh, a reading a, a a text right that that requires much more explicit uh, systematic in, instruction it's not that during uh reading a text you cannot teach some aspects of word reading right it's a great place to teach morphology all right um and help kids uh understand uh, more uh more of the morphemes and that will help them read more of these multimorphemic words and so forth but but uh you know some kids are going to need language arcs if you will fundamental reading skills and and make sure that the kids have those skills before um they have at least they have sufficient skills before we expect them to understand uh too much from a text yeah, I think that I mean know that we talk a lot about, you know, students who might not be comprehending well and teachers thinking how do I do intervention or how do I, you know, tutor this student if it's tutoring and I think that's a really good point of like thinking about what exactly is I, those things I think are much easier to do an intervention on and yeah. to, to But to, e- know, to, even the latter, let's say we've got a tutor that's trying to improve a child's reading comprehension, you know, they reports are they're, they're not understanding what they're reading. Well, then the the materials that that should be used there, right? From my opinion, is is exactly what's used in the classroom. All right. Use the use the books, the chapter books, the 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 uh, science book, social studies book that that you use in a classroom, and 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 try to determine, you know, what is the child being asked to do? What's the purposes of of reading those materials? And then assess uh, what it is that the child's able to do with those books and what they're not able to do with it, and then provide some instruction that helps them get better at at that part of that will be helping them acquire more knowledge about the topic right so so uh specialist speech uh, pathologists or special educators you know need to be content educators to a certain extent oh man i never thought Absolutely. of that <laughs> Yeah, I think there's so much that we could talk, continue this conversation and talk about the skills that could happen during an intervention or during, you know, a tutoring session, but then also do like a case study on the knowledge that kids could need or, or uh, require to be successful in reading tutoring. Cause I think that is something that I think I added to our list, Melissa, of things I would like to podcast about. That's yes. definitely one of them. <laughs> Because it's complicated, like very said. complicated. It's not easy, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's not solvable. Right? So right. we might not be able to completely, uh, you know, address it, but we can move move toward uh, better instruction and better assessment as it relates to reading comprehension. I'm I'm convinced of that. Right? Um, we won't completely solve the problem anytime soon, but we can address it. Well, thank you for leaving us with that hopeful note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a pessimist. <laughs> and, and you guys are, 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 uh, are fun to talk to. Uh, I, I've enjoyed uh, doing the podcast with you, and I, I wish you the best in your, in your other uh, your future ones. And I'm going to have to go back and listen to some of the, uh, some of the ones that you've done in the, done in the past. 
Excellent. Yeah, we'll send, maybe yeah. we'll send you some of the ones uh, that might pique your interest right. on right. building knowledge. All right. Yeah, I would, I would like that. So thanks again yeah. for sure. inviting me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Have a great day here. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, Literacy Lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content. We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast Facebook group. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast in this episode are not necessarily the opinions of Great Minds PBC or its employees.